11.30's ready to party. Yeah, I'm telling you. All right, we're going to get started. So if you're make, getting coffee or um, giving your offerings, make your way in as soon as you can. But for the rest of us, let's just say it together. Say it with me. It's time. Come on, we do better than that. It's time to start. There we go. So uh, it's the first of the year, and uh, trying to set you guys up, I like to try to set a course for the first of the year and set things in motion a little bit and give you some fresh perspective and try to teach you things maybe that you have not heard or understood before as a Christian, and then try to reinforce things that you may already know. And so it's a year of transformation. That's what we're declaring over 2017. Come on. Yes, right. Let's say this together. If I want what I've never had, I must do what I have never done. That is a statement of fact. So we're going to talk about today, we're going to talk a little bit about financial increase. Anybody need some financial increase? Right. Bible says this, the sons of the world are more wise than the sons of the light. In other words, they understand and do things that sometimes Christians in their perspectives are restricted from. We tend to view things very religiously. We tend to view things in a box sometimes, and we tend to wait for permission. Right? God's not always about that. You already have permission. So we're going to talk a little bit about this today. But money and its relationship to our lives and our faith is a very dominant topic in the Scripture. People don't think the Bible talks about money. Well, it talks a lot about money. The five key areas of your life are your faith, your finances, your family, your friendships, and your future. Those are your five key components. So those are the handful of things in your life that you end up managing. Those are the very five, those, all of your decisions in those arena are what you end up, you end up managing those, those decisions. So it bears to say that if those are important and those are how God has made us, then our Father would definitely have something to say about those matters. When it comes to money, Ladies and gentlemen, you say this with me. I must, I must develop, develop a philosophy, a philosophy of, finances. of finances. If I do not, if I do not life, life will give me one. Give me one. It's true. If you don't develop a, a philosophy of finances, life is going to hand you one. And I can assure you the one that life hands you is not going to be the one that you're really going to want. You've got to have a philosophy and you've got to have a methodology and you've got to define finances in your life. It's, it's just a reality. So what we're going to do today, we're going to give you a Bible overview, biblical overview, conceptualizing things from God's perspectives and how this, uh, how it's, what is put to the believer, what is over the believer and what we're called to partner with. And then I want to try, if I don't run out of time, to, which was not my goal first service, is to give you, say this with me, practical steps to increase. Now hopefully I'm going to slow down a little bit on it and give you a little bit more out of that today. So number one, if you want to understand biblical increase, this is the first place we have to bring you. This is the first place you have to bring yourself, is you have to believe that it is God's will to prosper you. If you do not believe it is God's will to prosper you, you I told first service, you may as well take a nap and wake up in about a half an hour because you're not really going to get anything out of this. You have to believe that it is God's will to prosper you. It's true. If you don't believe it's God's will to prosper you, then we're, we're already at a deficient point. We've got to come to that place. You say, how do I know that it's God's will to prosper me? Because your Bible tells you so. In the book of Jeremiah, this is just one of many, but this is a, a, a concise verse. 
God says, I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. See, he declares over you. And what does this declare? I, I declare prosperity over you. I declare hope and a future over you. I declare my plans over you. God says, I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to what? What's the P word? Come on, help me out. Prosper, Prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. God's intent is to prosper his people. Poverty is not glamorous. <laughs> the only person that poverty is not glamorous to, poverty is glamorous only to people who are not in poverty. If you are in poverty, there is nothing glamorous about poverty. Can we get a witness? It's true. Poverty is a curse. Man was never created by a sufficient God to be impoverished. We were never created that way. Poverty is a curse. Poverty is part of the curse. And if you understand the life of Jesus, Jesus came to bear the curses on our behalf. All that we had brought upon ourselves, Jesus took upon him, including sin and separation. On the cross, he separated from his father, did he not? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There's a separation. That's a curse that man inherited, was separation. Jesus took that separation on our behalf. He took sin upon himself. He took emotional healing through the blood that he shed in the garden. He took stripes upon his back to bring us physical healing. I just love to say this because I just love saying it because it's such a cool revelation. Blood in the garden had nothing to do with sin, Christian. Jesus being beat and striped upon his back had nothing to do with sin. The blood is a manifestation of emotional healing for the restoration of the soul. Jesus shed blood in the garden for the healing of the emotions. Jesus shed blood from his back for the healing of the flesh. By his stripes were healed. David said he restores my soul. And then he took, he took sin upon, he took blood upon the cross, and the blood ran down on the cross to pay for our sins. It's a holistic gospel. It's not Jesus saves us and we just figure it out as we go along. No, you can be healed. You can be made right in your emotions. You can be made right in your mind. Your will can be shifted. You can. You can. You can be healed in your body. Where's Alex? Is he here? Was it your uncle? His uncle was just raised from the dead. Am I lying on that? He was dead for an hour. And, he came, and, his, and your sister, your, your, your aunt, prayed over him. CPR and praying over him for an hour, and he came back after an hour. What? Come on. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out devils. I always tell people this because it's 1130, so we can just talk like friends, right? I'm not in a hurry. For the next six hours. No, I'm just joking. Totally joking. We, don't, we don't see the dead race because we embalm you within 24 hours. You ever thought about that? As soon as you're, boom, they're pumping embalming fluid in you and say, why don't we see the dead race? Because we're pumping poison into the body. You know, I always tell people, give us a chance, man. Give us a few hours to pray over the dead. I prayed over the dead a couple times. I'm, I'm all in, man. I'm all in. I'm all in. It's just like, give me a chance. But we need it. We just give me a chance. Anyway, that's another story. Where was I? I don't know. I just got so caught up in the fact that his uncle come back from death. That's awesome, man. You have to believe that it's God's will to prosper you. Jesus bore the curse for us in all things. We got to get this. And you've got to understand that poverty was cursed. Well, Jesus was poor. Yeah. Why? Uh, right here. 
For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was poor, though he was rich, yet for your sakes he what? Became poor. Why? So that you through his what? Poverty might be made rich. Well, that's spiritual. Is it? Is it? I would argue that that's not the context of that verse because immediately above it, Paul says that you abound in all things. He didn't say that you abound spiritually because you know this is what Jesus did for you. He said, no, I want you to abound in all things because Christ, though he was rich, became poor, that you might become rich. In what things? In all things. That you may abound in all things. Poverty is not of God. It is not. And if you view it of God, you have a cursed mindset. You're viewing things from the lens that is not the lens of heaven. It is not how the Father sees it. Now, prosperity is relative to the individual. Okay? What prosperity means to you may not mean prosperity to me. You know, it's, it's relative. But what God is saying is that he will prosper you. He will prosper you. Jesus, you've got to believe that it's he wants to prosper you. And you've got to believe that Jesus paid the price for poverty. Poverty has been redeemed. Has been then why is there poverty? There's a myriad of answers to that question. There's a bunch of them. Some of it is the failure of the church to implement the plan of God into those areas. A majority of it is ignorance on the part of the Christian and ignorance upon the part of people who actually live in poverty. Poor choices, systematic thinking outside of the kingdom of God, it produces nothing good. If you want to prosper, the first thing that needs to change is the way that you think. If you don't get past these mindsets, nothing else is going to shift for you. Nothing. Next slide. We say it here all the time. Truth and reality are two different things, Christian. Truth is God has plans to prosper you. Reality means you may be broke. Well, that's your reality, but that's not the truth of the matter. That's not what's over your life. So we take the truth and we push it towards the reality until truth becomes the reality. You're saved and born again. I don't feel saved. I'm not born again. If you've confessed Christ, if you've not confessed Christ, well, we need to help you out with that one. Just give your life to Jesus. Say, Lord, I don't understand all this, is, but I give my life to you. Come into my heart, forgive me, and heal me. Off we go. It's that simple, yeah. If you're syringing your heart, it's that simple. It's as easy as that. Jesus did all the heavy lifting. If you're in Christ, everything's changed for you. Everything's different. You may not feel it, but the truth is, is you're saved. I'm going to give you another one. You're a saint. I don't feel like a saint. I didn't ask if you felt like one. That's what the Bible said you are. You're a son and daughter of the highest. I don't feel like a son and daughter. I didn't ask if you felt like it. It's what the Bible says you are. I'll give you another one. You're more than a conqueror. Anybody here feeling like more than a conqueror? Maybe not, but the fact is you are. You have victory in all circumstances. Even when we win, we still, even when we lose, we still win. God works all things out to the good of those who love him and are called according to your purpose. Even if you lose, you're still going to win. He's going to turn it around, and he's going to benefit you in some way, even out of a failure. You can't lose. That's the facts. The only way the Christian loses is when they quit. It's the only way. That's why the Bible tells us to be faithful unto what? Death. Be faithful unto death. Are you breathing? Be faithful. I don't know if I'm breathing. Let's put a mirror under there, and if we can see fog, that means steep believing God. Be faithful unto death. Survival, success, and significance. Say this with me. Success, success and significance, significance in the kingdom, kingdom is mine by birthright, by birthright. But, but it is, it is a, process. a process. 
Success and significance is yours by birthright. You will be the head and not the tail. That sounds like significance to me. I will cause you to ride upon the high places. That sounds like significance to me. We are prosperous in all these things. We are more than conquerors. That sounds like success to me. That is your birthright. That is the inheritance of the believer. But in order to begin to manifest or see this stuff begin to happen in our life, it is a process. And say this with me. Process, process. requires my participation. You have to do something. Let's say another one. Say this with me. Christianity, Christianity is not, not a spectator sport. It requires you to participate. This is, this is why a lot of the power of God is defunct and absent because we don't understand that we're to participate in this. We're to be a part of this. This is an inner, inner, inner relational thing that we do. We relate to him, from him, to him, through him. We're relating with him. Survival, success, and significance is Jesus' way for the believer. And he says this, according to your faith, let it be unto you. What is faith? Your willingness and ability to trust in the promises of God. That is the definition of faith. We trust in what God has said. That's faith. So according to your ability and according to your willingness to trust in what Jesus said, and your ability and your willingness to trust in who he says you are, so be it unto you. Well, I don't believe that yet. How about Nazareth? He goes to Nazareth, his hometown. Jesus had no problem doing miracles, did he? I mean, I mean, dude's dancing on the water, just all kinds of crazy stuff's happening. Fish and chips, he's got a whole thing going on. Rock star, rolling out the kingdom, bringing the kingdom, busting it. He goes to Nazareth and he can't perform any miracles. Why? Help me. They didn't believe him. What didn't they believe? They didn't believe what he said, and he, they didn't believe the person that he presented himself to be. Therefore, the unlimited God was limited in time and space based upon the agreement of a man and a woman. So could it be that your agreement and your alignment with the things that God says actually has an activation power? I'm just wondering. We must agree and we must align in order to activate the things of God. Well, if God's willing, God's willing, are you? Are you? That's the question. We have to partner with it. It's his will to, sick, to move you from survival. He sends rain upon the just and the unjust. It is not God's desire to leave his people eating from hand to mouth. He had no pleasure in Gideon eating crumbs out of his hands while the enemies around him prospered. He told Gideon, rise up, man of valor, recognize who you are, recognize what's on your life, begin to align with it, and begin to walk in the things that I have put on you. And only when Gideon did that, through trembling hands and probably shaking knees the whole time, okay, but he moved forward. You can shake, you can be freaked out, you can crawl, but move with Jesus. Move with him. He wants to take you from survival, hand to mouth, to success, which is more than enough, to significance, which means the world knew you lived. Somebody knew you lived. There was an impact made by your life in some, with somebody, somewhere, somehow, something happened. That's significance. And it's his desire to not leave his children eating from hand to mouth. We interpret success as it's all for me. You don't understand success in the biblical terms. Success is that you have all sufficiency, you do all things. You have this and you have enough to give. 
He didn't say you have enough for all of the things, you know, everything else, and it's just all about you. He said, no, I'm succeeding you. I'm moving you past hand to mouth. You are now established, and now you can be generous. And out of generosity, he builds into you significance. You have to understand that it is will to prosper you. You have to understand this is another big one. You, say it with me, I am not of this world. You are not of this world. If you think your life rises and falls by what goes on around you, Bible would call you this, carnal Christian. You live according to the fleshly realm. Didn't say you're not saved. Didn't say Jesus doesn't love you. Didn't say your sins weren't forgiven. Didn't say well, you weren't going to heaven. But you're, going, but you're living according to a carnal world. You're living according to the principles and the dictates and the mandates of a, of a lesser reality. When you come to Christ, you are, he has, I'll read it for you, he has delivered you. Not he's going to when we get to heaven. It doesn't say that. It is, a, it is a perpetual present tense. It is an ongoing reality. That's the way it reads in the Greek. He has delivered you. It is an ongoing reality from the power of darkness and translated you into the kingdom of his son in love. You're not of this world. What does that mean? You are bound now to the kingdom of heaven. Your life rises and falls to the degree that you partner with and agree with that world. That's called the superior reality. The realm of the spirit is the superior reality. We have the natural and we have the supernatural. Where does the supernatural come from? The spirit, his world, right? We have the natural. But you know what we get to walk in as Christians? The supernatural People go, wow, that's crazy. I can't, that doesn't make any sense. We, have a, we are people, sons and daughters of a superior reality. That, again, is truth. You say, well, that's not my reality. Again, take the truth. I'm a son and a daughter of a superior reality. What do you think David did? David's standing there scratching his head, watching Goliath mock the armies of God, and he's going, wait a second, man. I'm a child of a superior reality. Who is this dude to mock my people? Jonathan did the same thing. He's laying under a tree. He's like, wait a second. We're children of a superior reality. What are we doing? Hiding and shaking. Why are we hiding? we got to understand that's who we are. We are not of this world. So your life rises and falls. To, you, it doesn't matter what goes on. Heaven's never been broke. It doesn't matter what the economy does. Up, down, left, right, sideways. It is irrelevant. Heaven's not broke, nor would it ever be. The rain comes, your blessing and your world comes from his. He will give you the wisdom. He will give you the favor. He will give you the opportunity that the world will not give you. You're looking for favor in all the wrong places. You need to get your favor from on high. That's where your favor comes from. I will cast, lift up my eyes to the hill. From there comes my help. Help comes from the Lord. We are not of this world, Christian. You gotta know that. You gotta know it. You gotta know it. And you gotta begin to press, press, press into what that means. Your kingdom is activated through kings, keys. So I am not of this world, I am of his world. So that means that his world on earth as it is in heaven, didn't Jesus say that? Huh? Which means that that's possible. That the heaven, the reality of heaven can be made known upon the earth. The reality of his world can be made of what? Through signs, wonders, miracles, all sorts of events that make no sense to the rational mind. On earth as it is in heaven. He tells us that his world can be made known in our world. 
It's not a poem. It's a promise. But that kingdom, his world, is activated through keys. If you do not operate according to the keys of the kingdom, there is no access into the, into the, or release from the things of heaven. Every single thing with God is predicated upon an action by you. Salvation's free. No, it's not. Not unless you give your life for it. You don't inherit it. It's not yours. Jesus died for the whole world. Yes, he did. But you got to RSVP. You don't RSVP. You're going to show up for the dinner party, and they're going to bust open the book of life, which is the guest list, and they're going to go, your name's not on here. Yeah, but Jesus died for the whole world. Yeah, but you didn't RSVP. You didn't respond, see vous play, man. You didn't respond to his offer. You have to give your heart, right? Come on. You had to give your heart. You had to give your heart. You have to respond. He gave his life, you give yours. That's how it works. Well, I don't want to give my life. Well, then you're not on the list. Sorry. That's how it works. But when you give your heart, you activate the power and the promises of heaven. Without your participation, it is not active. We get this? Worship activates the presence of God. The Lord says, I inhabit what? The praises of my people. So what happens when we praise him? We feel his habitation, do we not? You feel his presence. He has promised his presence to the worshiper. So when we worship him, he habitates with us. If you ain't worshiping, he ain't habitating. You say, well, God seems far from me. Why don't you start worshiping him? Lord, I just give you glory. Lord, I just give you, just press in and boom. Holy Spirit, come. That's how it works. It's yours, but you've got to partner with it. We're moving Christianity out of the realm of the abstract and into the realm of the real. I have no interest in poetry of, you know, the Bible's just a book of poems. I mean, dude, I want what the God says is ours. I want to see it. And I want to know it. You're not of this world. You're of a distant system. Its kingdom is activated. It's the power of agreement, renewed mind. So here's what it is. We agree with what he says. We renew our mind. We begin to think not in terms of we think from heaven to earth. Is there poverty in heaven? I didn't hear you. Is there poverty in heaven? So why would we think that poverty is of God? If his entire, if his entire kingdom is not, there's, it's, as if he, it's as if we ask to really emphasize it so that we actually understand it. So Jesus is like, yeah, you know, John sees heaven. Streets of dirt with potholes in it. You know, gates you know, rusted out iron with weeds growing all in. Is that what he says? There's no poverty in heaven. The gates are, the, the streets are gold. The walls are jasper. The gates are pearls. The sea is diamonds. That doesn't sound like poverty to me at all. And if that is not who he is in, this, in that world, it's not what he intended man to have in this world. It is bound through a relationship with him. Where we get off is we start thinking in terms of greed. Greed is not of God either. Greed means what you have is simply for your own self-consumption. You're off there too. God gives it to you if he can get it through you. We receive and we give. We receive and we give. We receive and we give. We don't receive and shove it away. Use that. Okay, then I give. Then I receive and we give. That's how it works. See, what we think and what, what blocks our thinking, and because we're not thinking according to heaven's realm, we think according to the earth. And we think that when he gives it, well, it's all mine, so I just stack it up over here. That is never his intention. His intention is that through you comes ever-increasing glory. 
through you becomes ever-increasing increase. We receive, we give. We receive, we give. We receive, we give. We receive, we give. Rain goes up. Water comes down. Rain goes up. Or water goes up. Rain comes down. Water goes up. Rain comes down. That's how it works. That's actually seed goes into the ground. Harvest comes. Harvest the seed. Seed goes back in the ground. Harvest the seed. Seed goes back in the ground. Harvest the seed. You get how it works? That's his intention. He tells us in the book of Genesis, and as long as the earth remains, there will be summer and winter, seed time and harvest, and uh, day and night. Why did he say seed time and harvest? Because it is a literal, one of the key principles of all of our lives. Sowing seed, reaping harvest. Sowing seed, reaping harvest. Not just financially, but spiritually all, all the way through. The kingdom is activated through the power of agreement, through the renewed mind on earth as it is in heaven, beginning to think in terms of his world. Confession, saying what God says, has nothing to do with feeling. Lord says this, therefore I am. I'm a child of God. I'm an heir of this kingdom. This is not my estate. My father is wealthy beyond all knowing. This is who I am. Healing is the children's bread. Come on. Healing is my birthright. Wisdom is my inheritance. Success, goodness, and mercy follow me. Everywhere I go, goodness and mercy come. I am favored. I am favored. My God will give nations for my ransom. You believe it? Somebody somewhere somehow is going to get blessed. And guess who God's eyes on? You. You. That's right. You go to apply for a job and they're going to go, we just fired somebody yesterday. We're so glad you're here. Why? Because he gave somebody as a ransom for you. You say, that's not fair. Nothing fair about favor. Nothing. Nothing. That doesn't sound loving. Maybe that's what that person needs to get him to call on the Lord. How do you know what he's doing? He's going to ransom people for you. He will give up things in order that his children would have it. That's what your Bible says. There is nothing ordinary about the believer. Nothing. We've got to see our lives in light of the extraordinary, not of who we are and how magnanimous and wonderful we are, but in who heaven sees us as. And we bask in the light of his glory, and we take the promises unto ourselves. You didn't ask for the promise. He gave it to you. He didn't think about it. He just gave it. He gave it. See, I don't deserve it. Nobody does. That's why grace is amazing. He gives you his promises. And here's the deal. If he promises it over you, our dishonor is in not walking in it. We honor him by walking in it. We honor him by pressing towards it and inheriting it. That's where the father glories. Yes, sons and daughters of mine. Yes. And here we go. This is not a message on tithing. It's a message on financial blessing. But it's impossible to teach people about financial blessing without revealing the key to the kingdom. This is the key. It's the key, right? Tithing opens the door of blessing and finances. Next slide. What is tithing? It is proportional giving from God's people unto their father in relationship to their income. Tithing means tenth. The tenth belonged to the Lord. It predates the law. In other words, what often the, the critics of tithing will say is that was only under the law of Moses. And what would I say to that? Woefully ignorant. You woefully don't know what you're talking about. Woefully ignorant. Are you don't, don't, certainly don't be a teacher and, t and stand up and say that. I'd say that to my pastor friends. 
Are you a teacher of Israel and you do not know this? Are you a teacher of the princes and princesses of God and you don't even understand this? Shh, go quiet. Go and learn. Go, Jesus said, go, don't say anything. Go and learn what this means. Before you keep on talking, I don't want to hear anything until you go off and learn what this means. That's literally what he said. They didn't understand and they're saying all this stuff. Jesus said, shh, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Go and he told them, go and learn this before you start talking. Tithing predates the law. It's a system of honor. 10% given in support of the local church. The entire book of Malachi, the context of the book of Malachi is about honor. So if you want to read about what it means to honor God, you read the book of Malachi. It's given in a negative context because we're humans. And so what's happening in the book of Malachi is everybody's going, Lord, you said, but you're not doing it. Lord, you said, but you're not doing it. Why are you saying this? Why don't you see us? Why aren't you doing anything? And from chapter 1 all the way through the end of the book, the Lord answers them. Because you want to know why? Because you are not aligned with the things that I told you to do. Blessing flows through position. Blessing flows through agreement. And blessing flows through participation. What we think is that God should bless us according to our terms. This is what we think. Well, we should be blessed according to the way that we think. He does not bless you according to your, thing, your terms. He blesses you on his terms. We think that everybody should be saved, regardless of who you believe in. God does not release salvation based upon human terms. I believe in L. Ron Hubbard. You're not saved. I believe in Buddha. You're not saved. I believe in Allah. You're not saved. I believe in Krishna. You're not saved. I believe in myself. You're not saved. He does not bless you according to your terms. He blesses you on his terms. So if you don't want his blessing, that's fine. But if you want his blessing, then you need to get on his terms. That's all it, that's all it means. Listen, the Lord, the, Lord is not, the Lord wants people to be saved, but he's very indifferent as how we act to it. In other words, he doesn't work any harder than you. Oh. He puts salvation out there, and he lets people deal with it. And if they want to walk away, he lets them go. You guys read your Bible, right? He didn't even beg them to stay when the whole crowd left. Jesus' entourage left him. Because he said, this is what it looks like to come after me. And they were like, oh, who can do that? And they all left. And Jesus didn't go, wait a second, I didn't mean it. He didn't do that. He let him go. He let him go. And he looked at those who were closest to him. He goes, you guys got a problem with anything I said here? Peter's like, no, 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 we're good, man. We're good. He does not bless us according to our terms. We are blessed only on his terms. He is the sovereign. He is the Lord. Get that? He is the father, the, the patriarch, the leader. We bask in his glory, we share in his light, and we walk in his inheritance, provided we, we operate within the context of his household and what he says. That's how it works. So God is telling them in Malachi, and they're like, oh, and in chapter 1, you can read it. Lord, 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 Lord. The Lord goes, really? He goes, you dishonor me. And they go, in what way do we dishonor you? And he says, you give me the blind, you give me the lame, you give me the weak. Those are your offerings to me. You give me what you feel like it, when you feel like it. You give it to me whatever, in any way you think it's appropriate. This is our arrogance. God tells us to give as Christians. If you're not a Christian, this doesn't apply to you. But if you're a Christian, you better believe this applies to you. We give according to what we think and when we want and how we want to do it. And then we expect God to answer us according to what we have done. Now, he'll answer you, but he's not always going to answer you in the way that you want. They wanted an answer, and God said, here's the answer. You give me the leftovers. You bring a table into my house that's got three legs on it and broken down. You know, the thrift store won't even take it, but you think I should take it. 
you give a dollar and you think you should get a plaque on the wall. That's what he said. And he goes, offer it to your governor. Go to your governor and offer them what you are offering me and see if they will accept it. Give to your employer what it is that you are offering me and see if they will accept it. He says, am I not a great king? And then he says, I am a great king and I will have honor. Which means if you will not honor me, I will find a people who will honor me. And to them I will entrust myself. So that doesn't sound fair. It sounds like Jesus on a donkey to me. If you do not praise me, I will command these rocks to cry out. If my people will not honor me, I will find creation itself to honor me. But I will be honored. Your finances is an act of tribute and honor to the one who is worthy. Worthy. Starbucks isn't worthy, Christian. Ford Motor Credit isn't worthy, Christian. Bank of America Mortgage Services isn't worthy, Christian. But you better believe Jesus is worthy. So before we go doing all that, we better make sure we got this one right. That's our problem. We're misaligned. We're misaligned. Just saying. Y'all can do what you want, but I'm just telling you. As for me and my house. As for me and my house. <laughs> bring it into the storehouse that my house may be honored. That my house, in the presence of my people, there may be a, an atmosphere. There's something maybe happening in the community. Because if you don't do it, then there is no other mechanism by which God will bring it about other than going and finding others to bring them to do, it, to do it. Prove me, and I will open windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that you will not have room enough to receive. Say it with me. It's money, it's money. and things, things that money cannot buy. You're opening up an arena and a point of favor over your life. It is viewed in heaven's eyes as an act of honor, and it is holy before the Lord. You should do a word study and, ask, and actually look into the things that God calls holy. You're only going to find a handful of them. You're only going to find a handful. And when God says that's holy, other than himself, the Lord calls himself holy. But when he says something is holy, it means it's special, it's sacred, it's set apart, it's beautiful to me. Worship is holy. Offerings are holy. Tithes and offerings are holy. Leviticus says the tithe is mine and it is holy. It belongs to me. So while you may be giving to the local church that you are fed from, your honor is not given to this church. Your honor is given to the Lord because you're given to the Lord. Well, I don't like the way the church is going, so I'm not going to give. You're not honoring the church, Christian. You're honoring Jesus. And you know what God's going to do? He's going to force you into a position to where you're going to be able to, you're going to begin to do that. I had to tie to a church I couldn't stand being at. You ever try that one on? Some of you have. Oh, God, are you kidding me? When are you going to let me go from this place? Soon, Kevin. Now go give your offering. Oh! All right. Then I'd have to walk down the hallway. I want to be cheerful. I want to be cheerful. The Lord's like, if you can't be cheerful, be neutral. That's what he told me. If you can't skip, then have no emotion at all and just do it. And that's what I did. So anyway, it's my little therapy session here this morning with you guys. It's an, it's an honor. It's holy before the Lord. Prayer is holy. Prayer is holy. Ah, prayer is holy. Proverbs, Malachi, Leviticus, Genesis, it's all viewed as an honor. Honor the Lord with the first fruits. Well, people say, well, Kevin, come on, man. It's not in the New Testament. You know what I say to you? Who told you that? Who told you that? In the Old Testament, it was commanded. 
but it wasn't commanded pre 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 law. It wasn't commanded. Moses or uh, Abraham gave it. Abel gave it. All of the patriarchs gave it. But those are the two that we have very clear pictures of them giving. It wasn't mandated. It was given from the heart. It was a testimony of love and affection and honor to the Father. And the and the new and when Moses came along, he mandated it. Why did he mandate it? Because people were very sinful. And God wanted them to remember we're the source of blessing. In order for God to bless his people, he had to make them give. That's the only way. Because if they didn't give, they wouldn't be blessed. And God would command them to give. Why? So I can bless you. That's why. Matthew says this. Jesus is talking to the Pharisees. He says, you guys tithe of all of your increase. He said, you should tithe, yes. But you should also remember mercy, sacrifice love, sacrifice, grace. That's what he was telling them. In other words, you guys are very religious about the way you give your offerings, and that's amazing. You give it out to the penny. But what you're not doing is this over here. Well, what's the modern church done? We're completely the opposite. We think we're all supposed to be over here, but we neglect the tithe. Jesus affirms the tithe. First Corinthians, Paul speaking again to a Gentile church, and he tells the Christians, when you all come together, where? On the first day of the week, that would be Sunday, let each one of you set aside an offering, what? In proportion to their income. Proportional giving and relationship to your income. It was the tithe. Is it 10%? Why? Because it's equal. Whether you got a dollar or a thousand dollars, we're all given on the same percentage basis. It's equality of giving according to the level that you have received. Well, I don't like that. Well, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> Next slide. Nothing pushes Christians back more than the idea of money. Well, I told first service, your life doesn't even belong to you. You say, it's my money. Is it? Is it? According to my gospel, according to Jesus' gospel, you don't, your life doesn't even belong to you when you give it to Jesus. You are bought with a price. Therefore, what? Your life is not your own. You don't belong to you anymore, according to the gospel. So technically, nothing's yours. You serve him. I don't like that either. Well, you better, I don't know what to tell you. You'd be amazed what pushback I get. I get people say this literally to me. I don't agree with what you said there this morning. I'm like, I don't want to tell you. I, you know, I, I'm not making this stuff up. I'm not laying around on a couch writing this stuff up and, you know, going, oh, I think this would be a good thing to say. I'm trying to tell you what the Bible says, and I'm trying to reflect to you the heart of God. We're called to do this. We're called to participate in this. This is how it works. There's a giving ladder, right? So what does it look like? We have to give people a giving ladder because sometimes 10% is too hard for people to digest. It just is. We just don't have the faith for it. Me, when I came a Christian, I'd have anything. They're like, Jesus said this, Jesus said this, Jesus said this. I said, cool, and I'd jump out the plane. Woo! Is that what he said? I'm in. Jesus said that? I'm in. I didn't even know if I had a parachute on or not, because I, but I trusted Jesus. If he said it, it must be good. If he said it, he must have something for me. And so I did it. You guys hear me say it. I slept in my car, ate ramen, I didn't have anything. But by God, I was going to give it to the Lord. I was going to give it to the Lord. I was going to honor God. And God brought me out of the worst circumstances. I have given my entire Christian life. I have not failed in giving the tithe, ever. And we give more. So, And I'm not saying that for anything. I'm saying this as a point of testimony into your life, into you. That's what I'm trying to tell you. So we have what we call giving ladder. We have first-time giver. And we have what, if you've never given before, give something. Consistent giver. I give every now and then. Okay, we're moving forward. 50% of all Christians. You ready? Ready? Grab the chair. 50% of your brothers and sisters give nothing. 50% of all who claim Jesus Christ as Lord give nothing. Zero. 18% give the full tithe. 
So out of 100 people, 20 are given the actual obedient level. The rest, the other percent, give less than 5%. Less than. And it's more like 3.8. And do you know what that compares to? The level of giving during the Great Depression. Just saying. Just a thought. You become a consistent giver. Then you become a proportional giver. People go, I can't give 10%. You know what I tell them? Can you give 3%? Can you give 5 Can you give 1%? every week? Can you give Jesus one penny on every dollar? Can you do that? You should have no excuse on that one. And can you give him 1% and go, Lord, if you will bless me and you will raise my life and continually, I will give you more. But what we do is God starts increasing you and so you increase your spending and then you still don't have it. So he's like, okay, so you're making 300. You're going to give me 1% on that. I'm going to raise you. You get to raise the 500 and boom, you blow the money out again. And then you're still at 1%. You go, well, God just isn't meeting my needs. Well, wait a second. Didn't you go from 300 to 500? Yeah, but I'm spending all that now. Well, maybe he's trying to bring you to 500 to get you to tithe so he could bring you to 1,000. Do you ever think of that? Just a thought. What we do is we accelerate our giving, we accelerate our expenses in proportion to our giving or in proportion to our income. Listen, you want to spend more, go ahead. I don't care what you do with your money, but what I do know is honor the Lord. That's what I do know. That's, that, that, I, that I do know. If you don't see it as discipleship or covenant, no one can help you. When we give, we agree and declare the promises that are attached. Okay? So we commit. People, then we have Christians who give the tithe and they think they want a plaque on the wall. All you've done is raise yourself to the level of, of, of minimum standard. That's all it is. Minimum standard of the Christian in discipleship in the arena of finances is 10%. Minimum standard. So when we reach the level of minimum standard, when we reach 10%, we are only baselining our discipleship. We're only, we've only reached the level of minimum standard. Why? Because God has so much more. He wants you ultimately to be a generous giver. And he will multiply you to where you can be a generous giver. But he will not if you will not be faithful. One last word on tithing. Here's what people do. I tithe six months. I tithe three out of the six months. Nothing happened. Really? You know what I tell them? I've told this to so many people over the years, and I'll say it to you. I said, get yourself a piece of rawhide or get yourself a stick if you need something to bite on. But you, you give the full tithe for 12 months, and you tell me something doesn't change. You tell me. I guarantee it. I don't have to guarantee it. The Word of God guarantees it. I've seen the testimonies off this. I saw a guy get three promotions. And you know what he did? He came to me, and he got promoted. He got promoted right out of the country. He got promoted so high. And he came to me, he said, you know what he told me? This is the first church I ever gave the full tithe to. The first church. And he got, I another guy, this is one of my favorite stories. He comes to me, and he'd been working for this company for like five years. He had to beg like the year before just to get a cost of living increase. He had to beg to get a raise. He listened to me. He said, I gave the full tithe for the 12 months. He said, my boss called me in at the end of the year and said, you know what? We've been evaluating you. And we realize you're one of our most underpaid employees. And we gave, they, gave, they gave him a 12, no, it was a 15% raise. 15%. And I told him, his name was Jared. I said, if you're listening, Jared, you, know, you can come testify. I said, Jesus gave you your tithe plus 5%. Everything you gave was just given back to you, and he increased it by 5%. I'm telling you. It's not a bag of money that shows up on your doorstep. It's a consistent provision of blessing. 
That's what it is. It's consistent provision of blessing. What we do and what happens with the Christian, and I'm going to put it out there because this is what we do. God blesses us and we jack up our, our expenses. And then we shake our hand at God going, why aren't you providing for me? Because, again, you've jacked up your expenses disproportionately to your income. So now you're in the same position as you were before. Just a thought. Anyway. Crickets. Crickets. <laughs> so here we go. How do we increase? Okay. How do we increase? Anybody want to know how to increase? One of you. Carmen, this is for you. We're going to talk about how money is made. And then we're going to talk about where increase comes from. Increase comes in a business context from one of two ways. Primarily, you either cut expenses or you increase revenue. Those are the two ways that, that the money's made. Two ways, okay? Or in, in, in how, how business makes money. There are things called residual income where maybe you have something and now you're getting a dividend off of that and you don't really have to do anything. But primarily, what money is made, or businesses make money by reducing expenses or increasing efficiency or increasing revenue. If you want to increase, anybody here want to increase? Come on, raise your hand. Come on. Come on, come on, don't you be shy. Get your hand up here. We're breaking you out of your shell. Come on. Some of y'all need to get your hands up. You want to increase? My question to you, why? That's the first question. Why? Nothing wrong with increase. Nothing wrong with it. The question is why? And you know why? If you know the why, you'll endure the how. Most people won't endure the how because they don't have a reason why. Why? Why do you want it? I want to put my kids in a better school. Well, then if Jesus shows you how, you're going to endure hardships to, to get there. You'll endure it because that's your why. You must know a why. Why do you want to increase? Well, I just wanted this. Or I don't, you know, come up with a reason. I want to give more. I want to serve more. I'd like to upgrade my car. All these things. Okay, that's great. There's nothing wrong with any of that. Let's be clear. The Lord rejoices in the prosperity of his people. He likes his people. Does anybody here want to see their kid as a total failure? You got a kid, man, I'm so glad my son's living under a bridge. Thank God. You celebrate when your child does well. Do you not? You celebrate when your child is successful. You celebrate when your child is influential. What makes you think that your Heavenly Father doesn't do the same with you? He does exactly the same with you. He rejoices in the prosperity of his people. He wants you to succeed. He wants you to. How do you increase? Where do you want to go? Why? Why? Why do you want to go there? Why? And the reason is, is that Jesus doesn't have a problem getting you, giving it to you. It's the same thing as why do you want it? Do you know why? And it may take a series of questions. It may make you wrestle. It may make you think through a lot of things, but you need to get down to the root of why. Why? Am I making sense here? Why? I, need the, I want this, Lord, because of this. And you begin to align your desires with heaven. And then you begin to delight yourself with it in, in, in line with heaven. And he gives you the desires of your heart. He's not going to give it to you for self-terminating reasons. Okay? So in other words, God will bless you and he will increase you. Provided that, but that blessing is going to be an over, there's going to be an overflow off that blessing. And you tap the heart of God because you make an overflow off that blessing. You say, Lord, I want this because I want to better my life and my children. I need this because I want to do this. So show me the way. Give me the path. Simplest way is one of the free easiest ways is to cut spending. Everybody say this with me. You're going to like it right now. Ready? Let's just get it out of the way. Everybody say it. Ouch. Ouch. That's right. We're Americans, man. We don't cut spending. Are you crazy, Kevin? We, we, our government even goes into debt. What are you, crazy? Cut spending. Oh, 
I'm not telling you to do. I'm just giving you some advice here. Look at what you're spending. Examine and eliminate it. I think it's called the McPherson principle. I could be wrong, but the McPherson principle is a psychological principle that, that connotates or shows a healthy mindset in crisis. So what is, it, what is the McPherson principle? It's where you're able to look at the situation and acknowledge how bad it is and still have hope. So you can look at it and go, man, this completely sucks. This is really bad. Okay, but there's hope. That's something psychologists look for as a healthy mindset. That's, that's the pivot point of despair. Can you look at it and fall in despair, or can you look at it and have hope? Well, we're Christians, man. We have no reason to not have hope. We have Jesus. There's always hope. Come on. So what are you spending? I don't want to look at it. Just do it, man. Look at what you're spending. You need to examine what you're spending, and if you want to increase the bottom line, you may not want to, but if you want more money at the end of the month, you're going to have to look at these things. Examine and eliminate and or find better options. Sometimes our car is out of proportion with what we can afford. Maybe we need to find a better option. Sometimes our housing is out of proportion and what we can afford. We need to find a better housing. Sometimes our phone and the style of service and whatever it is that we have to have, the galactic inter intercontinental cell phone plan. <laughs> You know, it's out of proportion with actually what we need, but it sure does look cool when we, you know, have you seen this one? Oh, no, I, you know. <laughs> eating out. Examine how much money you're spending eating out. And cost effect, cost, compare that as to parts to eating home and eating out. Some of you guys, it's cheaper to eat out. It is this. I mean, you know, but if you've got a family, it's not necessarily cheaper to eat out. But, you know, you've got to cost compare that. You have to check that out. Some of us are coffee budgets. Hello, I don't eat, I, don't, I cut all that out. I, I, I have... Where's Victor? Are you still here? Yeah. That coffee was the best coffee I have ever had in my life. I am not kidding you. So he gave me this bag of coffee from Colombia, right? It was Colombian coffee from the best region in Colombia, and it came in a bag that was gold. It was amazing. Amazing. I want more of that if you can get it. So. I'll pay you. <laughs> By the way. <laughs> Where was I? Oh, so we have to look at our finances and try to find better options. Try to find better options. Next slide. No one can do that but you. You're going to have to do that. You have to do that. You have to examine your reality. Everybody say this with me. Reality, reality. Distortion. distortion. Right? We have a distorted reality sometimes. We're like, well, I think I should drive a Mercedes. Yeah, but you're, you know, you're kind of, you're at an entry-level job in a retail store. I don't know if that's right now. But I, my, blah, blah, blah. You're in a distorted reality. You have to see where you are in light of where you want to go. And then once you acknowledge where you are and you know where you want to go, you take the steps, you seek the Lord, you find wisdom, and you take the steps towards where you want to go. Quick word on debt, good debt and bad debt. Is there such a thing as good debt? Yes, there is. Good debt is debt that makes you money. It's called equitable assets. When you invest in an equitable asset, something that makes you money, even if you accrue debt it, to get it, it's still a good debt. For instance, your house. A house that you can afford. Let's just say this together because I just want to make sure we reinforce this. A house that I can afford is good debt. It's good debt. It's an equitable asset because that, that asset is going to appreciate over time. Real estate market is secular. Yes, it goes up and down, but over time, houses are equitable assets. There's always money in the house at the end of the day. You understand that? So people look at their homes as bad debt. Homes are not bad debt if the house you can afford, if the mortgage and the principal taxes and insurance you can afford. That's not bad debt. That is an equitable asset. 
it will make you money. Now, what's a depreciative asset is your car. Okay? We spend $30,000 on a car. Alex, is that car worth $30,000 in five years? No. No. So it's a depreciative asset. And so I'm not saying there's anything wrong with buying cars, but what I'm saying is, is know what you're buying. Know what you're buying. And when you're thinking and making your purchases, in particular in the relationship to assets, is this an equitable asset or is this a depreciative asset? You can buy a car, but make sure it's in the wheelhouse with a pocket that you can afford. If you buy it outside of the pocket that you can afford, you're going to be suffocating, and then that, at the end of the day, that car is not going to be worth nothing. You're going to be upside down on it, or you're, it's not going to be worth anywhere near what you paid for it. And you basically spent money that could be used in other places. It's just, just, this is what wisdom is. What you need, Bible tells you this, what you need more than money is wisdom. What you need more than money is understanding. It tells us in Proverbs to seek wisdom and seek understanding more than we seek gold. Why? Because wisdom will show you. Wisdom will tell you. Wisdom will tell you what you already have, and wisdom will give you the path forward if you're open to it. So wisdom is what's necessary. But too often we act off of impulse. Anybody ever here make some impulsive financial decisions that they live to regret? Yes, haven't we all? Hello. Credit cards, unfortunately, are consumer debt, and they are bad debt. Now, there is ways of which I'm not going to get in. There's other things I could tell you off this. I'm just trying to give it to you in simple terms. In other words, spending credit cards to buy stuff that just, you're just consuming, if you can pay the credit card off, great. Or if you're paying the credit card and you're taking the credit card to invest in something that's giving you a higher rate of return than what you're paying on the credit card, which that's hard to do, then, you, then that's a good, that's again, that's an equitable asset. You understand what I'm saying here? We have to think in terms of good debt and bad debt. Not all debt is bad. I encourage people to be homeowners, particularly if they can afford to be a homeowner because it's an equitable asset to you. It will make you money in time. Just one idea. Liability, so here's a formula. So 100% of your income, so 10% to the Lord, 10% to savings, and 80% to live on. You know how you make money? You spend less than you earn. Kevin, that's un-American. That just is not American. You have to downgrade, or you have to move to a more affordable area. You know, sometimes people like, you know, I, I moved out of the area I was in into a more affordable area. I, I have, I, I actually like my house a lot better. I was in a really cool up and coming area, but I could not <coughs> afford where I was living. So I moved to a more affordable area. I have a great house, but I'm in a more affordable area. Sometimes you got to make these like little, little decisions or you got to get a roommate on housing. You know, sometimes you guys are buried or whatever. Get, get a roommate. I don't want a roommate. Okay. Well, there's the. You got, then you're going to have to live with the reality that you're choosing it from. So if you have 80, 10, 10, 10 to the Lord, 10 to savings, there you need to save 80%. So let's just say this, 30 to 35% of your income is on housing. These are financial formulas that work, that work. If you're higher in these percentages, you're going to have to take that money from somewhere else or you're going to have to go into debt to sustain it. These are just, these are averages. When I was in business, they used to give me all these averages. And I was went to school, and they showed me all these charts and all these averages, and I would be like, what do they know? These are averages. Nah, I'm above average. What I learned the longer I was in business is they're averages for a reason. <laughs> they always show up. It averages out. This is an average. 30 to 35% of your income on housing, 15 to 20% on your car, 10% to honor Jesus, 10% to save. So here's what we have. Next slide. So that leaves you 30% for all other expenses. It looks like this on a $50,000 a month income. You're offering, this is a little off. I'm, don't correct me on my math. I know I'm wrong. I'm already wrong. I can already see it. 
So anyway, your offering is X, your savings is X, your housing on that much money is about $12.50 a month, and your car, you've got to go up to about $6.25 on a car, and I would probably factor insurance in on that. And you say, well, I'm already spending more than $1,250 on housing. Well, then you're going to have to take that money from somewhere else on that level of income. This is how you end up with money at the end of the month. And that leaves you with roughly about $1,000 to $1,300 in all other areas. So this is one way of correcting your, your uh, I live off the 30, 35% formula with my housing. I'm not going to go somewhere if, I, if it's more than 35% of my house, of my, of my thing. I'm going to find another area. Why? Because I've suffocated over my housing many times. I drive used cars. I'm not encouraging you to drive used cars. I don't expect you to drive the beater van that I drive, okay? But I do that on purpose. I do that on purpose because I want money for other things. My heart is in the kingdom. My heart is in the gospel. I love to give to the kingdom. And I would rather look at people and have people call me names because of the car that I drive and be able to give, the, to, give to the gospel than for people to go, wow, what a dazzling and amazing car you drive, pastor, and I never give a dollar. I don't care. The only one I'm trying to impress is Jesus. I don't care what anybody else thinks about me. I mean, I do, but I don't. Anyway. Increase revenue. Okay, so here we go. What are some ways to increase revenue? So you got to cut expenses. you got to take a look at your expenses. If you're upside down, there's a reason. you got to just take a hard look at it. And you're going to have to look, factor it out off of all of these things. Listen to me. Let's say this together. My finances and my spending always comes down to quality of life. So if you like living on the edge and you like living razor thin, then by all means. But if you want a little bit more of a breathing room, then you're going to have to adjust it in, in relationship to the percentages and the income. That's just how it works. So in increasing revenue, this is a big one, and most Christians don't think this way. And I relate this back to you, and I know I'm out of time, but this is really, really good. So if you give me 10, 15 minutes, I'm going to get you out of here and we'll be done. You can, we got classes, all this other stuff. But uh, you, 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 this, is, this is really the crux. And I put tithing on top of this because I want you to understand that when God begins to bless you, what we think is a sack of money is going to, I'm going to open up the door and there's going to be a sack of money sitting on my front porch. Not necessarily. Or there's going to be checks in the mailbox. Not necessarily. What you have to do, God will release wisdom to you, and that wisdom will open up other arenas and other avenues. You have to increase the revenue streams or the potential revenue streams into your life. I always tell Christians this. There were four rivers that fed the Garden of Eden. If you need to leave, I understand. I'm, I'm like 20 minutes over already. But you guys get anything out of this? Yes, okay, thank you. But anyway, in the Garden of Eden, there were four rivers that fed that garden. There wasn't one stream. There were four streams that fed that garden. So you are, what we need to do is try to create multiple revenue streams if possible, okay? So one of the things is, is you have to understand that you have an ability to get wealth. I don't believe it. Well, here's your word. Deuteronomy 8.18, let's say it together. I will, you can read it. Remember, the Lord my God, for it is he who gives me power to get wealth, that he might establish his covenant in the land. Yeah. You have an ability to generate wealth. You have an ability to generate income. You do. You have natural abilities and you have supernatural abilities. You have access to the mind of Christ. You have wisdom. You have all these other things. Let's say this. Work is a four-letter word. It's true. So one of the ways we increase revenue is we increase revenue, but we have to increase revenue. That's another way. So here's what's got to happen. You guys got to understand this is what people don't understand. So maybe you get it. Maybe you don't. But if you don't, this is for you. The way money is made. Money is made through the buying and selling of products and services. That's how money is made. No, money is made because I show up at work and they give me a check. No, money is made through the selling of products and services. Your boss gets money through the selling of products and services. 
you're getting money because you're selling your time as a service. You understand that? So all money comes through the selling of products and services, all of it, unless it's, again, it's a residual income and, you know, whatever. But nonetheless, you're gaining money through the selling of products and services. We get that? You understand that? So what you have and where your ability to generate wealth is, is in your ability to sell products or in your ability to sell services. You have some ability within you that's over and above what you currently have. Do you believe that? It's true. So what are some typical examples? Sell stuff. Sell stuff. Listen, we live in the information age with access to internet and that e-commerce is huge, huge. So whether you want to find stuff and sell it, like what do I find? Well, if you're, not, if you're more of the merchandising type of person, find access to do good product, sell new stuff on Amazon, you can sell used stuff on eBay, you can, sell pro you can sell products and even services on Craigslist. There's different ways of generating income. You understand that? People go, well, taking pictures and posting on eBay is so much work. Is it really? <laughs> yeah, I know, it's just so hard. Oh my gosh, it's so hard. Work's a four letter word. Next slide. Sherry and I knew a girl, this is years back, and she used to do nails in her home. She would do veneer, nail veneers, right? That's what she would do out of her house. She was a college girl. She's a little college girl. I'd go there and I'd actually have to pretend like I was really interested in her um, doing nails because I was married at the time. And I'd be like, yeah, wow, those are cool. Oh, yeah, yeah. But anyway, I would ask her questions. I'd say, how many of these, how many of these do you do in a weekend? She said, probably between 10 and 15. I do 10 and 15 sets per weekend. She was charging $40 a pop. So 40 bucks times 12 is $500. This girl's making 500 bucks on a Friday and a Saturday or on a Saturday and a Sunday doing nails in her, in, in her, in her, uh, in her living room. Yeah, living in an apartment on Miami Beach, just doing nail veneers, charging $40. She built her clients, references between everybody. She put it out there on Craigslist, if you know nails, whatever, all that other stuff, there's ways of doing it. We, what we have to do is we have to think creatively. People go, I don't have time. Really? There's the statistics. This year alone, you're going to spend 65 days on the television. That's how much average hours you're going to spend. You're going to spend 41 days on the internet. And you're going to spend, here's my favorite, 22 days in traffic. Huh? Right? So there's an opportunity shows up wearing work clothes. We don't make time, we take it. So we have to take the time from someplace else. And I'm not telling you to take time from your family. I'm telling you to take time from the TV. You know? Take some of this time away and just begin to put build into this and begin to do it. Opportunity shows up wearing well clothes. You can see it as a part-time job. Uber and Lyft is another example. See, I don't like driving people around. Well, neither do I. I probably wouldn't do this either. But nonetheless, there are people that would that do. I'm more of the selling guy. I'm more that guy. I'm the selling guy. I'm the guy that sells that. I'm not the I'm not this guy. But I know people that do it. I had a guy, he worked retail. He just had a baby. So he needed money to, to support his baby. He, he's working like manager of a retail store, but he's not making enough. He's freaking out. I just had a kid. He starts driving for Uber and Lyft, and he's making two or $300 on a weekend, driving on Fridays and Saturdays. Well, that's a lot of time, Kevin. You don't understand. You know, I got to have my weekends. Well, do you want it? If you don't know the why, you don't understand the how. You say, I don't even know how to drive for Uber and Lyft. I've told guys here that drive for Uber and Lyft, I said, what would happen if you were to know the, the, the schedule of all the cruise ships that come into Miami? There's a million people a year that come into Miami, so you know. And they're not, Uber and Lyft is a, is a whole other dynamic of where you can make money. What if you knew the cruise ship schedules of when these big cruise lines were coming in and you were, you were waiting around downtown, you don't think people are gonna be looking for Uber or Lyft when the cruise ships come in? I guarantee you they are. What if you knew flight schedules? What if you knew, what if you knew venues and parties and all of these different things and you, you budgeted your time that you were gonna give to it around that? What would happen? There was a guy who was working for Carnival Cruise Lines. 
love you, Carnival Cruise Lines, anyway. But he was, he was an accountant for Carnival Cruise Lines. He picked Sherry and I up one time, and he was one of the only – I'd taken Uber a few times. And I was talking to him, and I was asking him questions about it. And he said, I worked for Carnival Cruise Lines for 10 years. He said, I do Uber full time now. Full time. Because he couldn't get past a certain cap with his, with in, in the accounting. He was at the low level of the accounting scale, and they wouldn't pay him anymore. So he went off and did that. And you don't even need to do a full time. You can do a part time. Sounds like work. Yep, work's a four-letter word. Sure is. If you want the Lord to bless you, you've got to think creatively. If you want what you've never had, you've got to do what you've never done. Okay? Another win arena is to increase your value of where you're working. Are there opportunities for you to grow, go up in the place where you're working? What are the requirements for that? Well, I've got to do this training and this training and this training and get this certification. Well, go do it. Well, I don't know about that. Well, you're in your car for 22 hours. Why don't you get some CDs or listen to an iPod or something, you know? I mean, do what you got to do. Those are other ways of increase. Can I, can I laterally move in my company? Is there, ways of, of there, is there other opportunities that I can take advantage of? Again, it's creatively thinking. Whatever you do, develop a strategy. What, where, when, why, and how. how what is it that you're trying to do? Why do you want to do it? And how are you going to get there? And if you don't know, ask the Lord. I'm going to give you another key to increase, okay? It's success 101 here this morning. Say, give me the key, Kevin. All right. Study best practices. You don't have to be the smartest person in a room. You got to get around people who are smarter than you, who've succeeded more than you, and you got to get around them. And people that are doing what you want to do, study them. How do I study them? You can do books. You, I mean, good Lord. Have you seen YouTube? Have you guys seen what you can get off of YouTube? I mean, you can change, you know, change a headlight. My daughter brings her car over. She needs her headlights changed. It's a car I'd never seen before. So I'm like, hmm, how do I, what's the best way to change the headlights? Because I don't want to screw it up. And so I watch a video. It tells me how to change the headlights on the car. So I go out there, boom, 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 change the headlights just like, and I look like I'm Superman. <laughs> because I learned how to do it watching videos. There's so much you can learn. There's so much avenues out there available to you. What we do is we sit back passively and wait it to come. You take it, you step into it, you begin to make these opportunities for yourself. You're gonna fail, yeah, but you're gonna keep trying and you're gonna succeed. But what I want you to not see is that when you're giving and you're offering yourself to the Lord, God is going to give you wisdom. He's gonna show you things. And what oftentimes we do is we discount that. We don't think that's anything, but he's actually showing you something. He's actually trying to reveal something to you, if you can understand that. Read books. Last two things here I'm going to say. Read books. 46 to 51% of income is based upon the ability to read and what you're reading. Where does that come from? Department of Education. So we're doing a school, so I'm studying all this stuff on literacy and, you know, just what's, you know, where kids are at and what's, you know, statistics and whatnot. And I was reading, and it said 46 to 51% of people's income is based upon the ability to read. That's the first thing. So how well you read. And the second one is what you're reading. So if you don't have a, a, de a developed ability to read, that's Article 1. If you're not reading, Christian, you need to be reading. You need to be reading. You need to be reading books in your field, books in your th things that you want to do, study leadership, st all of these things you need to be reading. And if you can't read, audible.com. You can listen to the thing on audio. There's no excuse. And if you really don't read, and then said, instead of watching TV, why don't you hit up a couple of YouTube videos and watch some YouTube videos? or whatever channel it is out there nowadays. But learning something, redeeming that time and creating something, an opportunity for increase. You have to rise in order to increase. Do, do you guys get this? This is just little things. I'll give you another example. 
My daughter, my daughter's has a friend. She just had a baby. You ready for this one? This one totally freaked me out. Okay, I might be off on the number, so she'll probably correct me. But nonetheless, she just had a baby. Single mom, has a baby, doesn't know what she's going to do. So this past Christmas, she went and bought a whole bunch of dollar store stuff. She bought a printer that cuts vinyl, right? Am I right? Right? She's my daughter over there. Say, hi, Mariah. Hi. We love you, Mariah. <laughs> she cuts, goes and cuts vinyl, and she makes $10,000 over the Christmas season, personalizing Christmas ornaments and little dollar store bears that she got that she got the name put on them. You don't believe me. She made almost $10,000 in about a three-month period. So what would that do? What, $1,000 a month? Well, that's a lot of work, Kevin. I'm sure she sat at her table cutting and sticking vinyl and packing packages. Yeah, she did. And she made ten grand in three months. You see what I'm talking about? What happens is it's called sweat equity. And we've got to stop making excuses and begin to confront our laziness. And stop shaking our fists at the Lord and saying he's not blessing you when you're lazy. I'm just telling you. And if you don't want what he has to offer, if you don't want the blessing, that's fine. If you don't want to step into the things that he gives you, I'm no way making you to. But then just, I always tell Christians, adjust your expectation. James says the double-minded man receives nothing from the Lord. Receives nothing. In other words, if you don't want to go the way that he's doing, you want to be double-minded and go a different way, you're fine to do that. But you need to adjust your expectations. Don't expect to receive anything. But look for opportunities, right? Yeah, that thing with, with, uh, with my daughter's friend just totally blew my mind, man. I was like, what? Right? Women have made fortunes off making cupcakes. Do you know how many opportunities there are to make, to make, to make money? And I'm talking, you may not get rich, but you can make a couple of hundred bucks a month. How would that change you? A lot of us, a couple hundred bucks a month is pretty significant, isn't it? Right? Somebody's like, no, not really. No, it's a couple hundred bucks is significant. That's your gas, that's your phone bill, that's your electric bill, that's something. It's going to put more money on the table. So those are just opportunities. Here's the last thing. You're created to succeed. It's God's plan for you to succeed, but it requires your participation. You can listen to this on SoundCloud because I know I, I talk really, really fast. So if you go on SoundCloud.com, here's another one. Go SoundCloud.com, just in the, in the search box, do ElevateMiamiChurch.com, and you'll get in most of our recordings are posted on there. So if you want to listen to this one again because I talk so fast, um, <laughs> you can. We're going to take communion. Communion. So what's going to happen, Sherry's going to play a song, and as she plays this song, just we're going to make our way up and around. And if you would kindly grab one of the crackers and just the juice and bring it back to your seat, we're going to take it together. So let me pray over it, and then we'll, go, we'll get ready and take the communion, and then we'll dismiss. So Father, we just thank you so much, Lord. You love us so much. You are so good. You are so kind. You are so gracious. We honor you, Lord. It's all about you. It's all about your desire, God, to see your people succeed to see your people go forward. And so we bless you for that, Lord. We thank you that you bless this time of communion. We remember you, Jesus. Your body was broken so that we might prosper. Your blood was shed that we might succeed. We honor you in that, Lord, spiritually, emotionally, physically, economically, all things, relationally. So we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so just go up and grab it and come back around. Thanks, Lord Jesus.